Welcome, everyone. Welcome. So glad you could join us this morning. Uh, we had a lot of kids head out to class this morning, didn't we? So there's a few more seats. People could come in and fill those if you were standing around the edges. Hey, it is Easter Sunday. What a day to be together, a day that we celebrate uh, bunny rabbits that lay chocolate-filled eggs. I mean, is there a better day? But in reality, we come together on a Sunday uh, for church uh, to celebrate Jesus and to celebrate resurrection, and we're excited to do that uh, this morning together. If you're new with us, if you're visiting, we just want to introduce ourselves a little bit. We have already, but we're about a year and a half into this journey, and we are a new church in uh, the Tri-Cities, passionate about um, right relationships with God, with self, and with others. Like, we want to we want to live in relationship with God. We want to live in relationship with each other, and, and we want to live healthy, right lives, right? And, and so, so we uh, are excited to have uh, worked for the last couple years on building this community where belonging can come first, where um, uh, our theology and, uh, and our practice and our lifestyles, all those things, God's working on all that in our lives, right? But to create a community where we can come together and belonging can be at the heart of it. Where, where right relationships can be built amongst each other immediately. So thanks for joining us this morning. We hope you felt welcome over the course of the morning. So um, I got a question for you, and, and you won't have to answer, but I'll, uh, I'll do some confession here this morning for you. When's the last time you met someone, uh, just a, a person just entirely so misguided and delusional that it just became obvious? I was a youth pastor for years, and, um, and I experienced a lot of delusion, right, as a, as a youth pastor. That's kind of uh, a mark of that trade. However, um, no one likes to hear uh, someone berate someone else, so I'm going to tell a story on myself this morning instead about delusion. Um, years ago, uh, before I was married, before I had kids, my brother and I decided we were going to learn how to kiteboard. Now, I don't know if you've driven past Hood River and seen those huge kites up in the air and, uh, you know, someone with a wakeboard strapped to their feet down under it. It uh, looks like the most amazing sport on earth, right? You flip that kite, right, and, and, and it lifts you 20 foot in the air, right, and you gracefully come back down to the water. Well, so we drove out to Hood River, and, uh, and we bought kites. And thinking, well, in the, in the Tri-Cities, you don't always get the steady wind that you do in Hood River. We bought the biggest kites you could buy. And, uh, and so we... Uh, we took these kites and, and we came home with, we, actually we went out that day to the, to the beach out there and, and talked with people, hey, what's your one tip for us? What do you recommend? How do we learn this? We were not willing to pay the price uh, to take lessons. So instead we just, well, we'll get some good advice. We'll go home and we'll get this thing figured out, right? So we get back to the Tri-Cities and for two and a half weeks in the Tri-Cities, the wind did not blow. How does that happen? Two and a half weeks in the Tri-Cities? Can you believe it? Well, finally, we woke up one morning and the wind was blowing. Okay. Unfortunately, I didn't check the forecast to see how hard the wind was blowing. Uh, 26 mile an hour steady with gusts above that. We were out there with the 10 mile an hour kites, okay? So I went out to a park. Uh, a kid from the youth group and I went out to the park together over at Horse Seven Hills Middle School. And, um, and uh, we got everything set up. We got the kite out and all ready to go. And I made the fatal near fatal mistake of going ahead, going ahead and clipping in. So I was locked into this kite, like the kite and I had become one. Um, so he, he goes down, uh, downwind and I say, all right, hit it, man. And he lets the thing go a 15, 
foot-wide kite, right? And this thing comes straight up through the power zone, and it lifted me off the ground, uh, probably just five feet the first time, just, you know, five foot off the ground, and it came straight above me where I came down softly, right? Everything that you thought would happen, kiteboarding, except in that moment, I felt the power of this kite, and I realized I was way out of my experience level. I realized I was in a serious situation. So what did I do? Nothing rational, nothing good or logical. In a panic, I had to get that kite down to the ground as quick as I could, and so I dove that thing straight back into the the power zone, uh, is is what they call it. And um, the thing lifted me 15 foot off the ground and 40 foot forward before I hit. And I was sliding at 25 miles an hour, right? We talked about that. Across the park, um, uh, across the asphalt walkways, no more skin on my arms, who needs that anyways? Uh, and finally, uh, about 200 yards across the park, I came to the, the kite came crashing down in the middle of a soccer field where little kids were playing. And here's what happens. All the kids come running and dive on top of the kite so it doesn't take off and kill me in the parking lot a moment later. Okay. I mean, the definition of delusion, right? I had no clue what I was doing. My beliefs and my claims got me into the worst of situations where reality came crashing down, or maybe more accurately, I came crashing down on, in, on reality. I'm just going to say I'm really thankful to still have a husband. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, not a good day. Um, I don't kiteboard anymore, by the way. Uh, so... Um, but what we're going to talk about this morning is, uh, is Jesus. Now, Jesus, he made major claims about his life. He made major claims about who he was. And we're going to start with this question of who did Jesus claim to be? And we're going to ask the question of, based on these claims, are, are they those of delusion or are they those of a savior? Right? We're going to ask this question of uh, who, did, did, who did Jesus, Jesus to be? Is going to come crashing down based on the radical claims that he made? Or is there something very special to this story that the claims were substantiated? So we'll talk through that this morning. So I want to start in John fifteen five, And we chose this verse because this is actually the verse where our name comes out of. Jesus said to his disciples, I am the vine and you are the branches. Remain in me and you will bear much fruit. And in this idea of the vine, we see vines all the time, especially in our area here. But the vine is the lifeline of the branches. It's the lifeline of the plant. So the water and the nutrients from the soil comes through the vine and then disperses to the branches. And without that lifeline, the branches can't thrive. They can't survive. They just shrivel up and fall off. And Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Mm. A passage says, uh, outside of me, Mm. you can do nothing. Right? These radical claims that Jesus makes. Okay, he said uh, in John chapter 6, verse 35, um, he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Right? He speaks to the basic necessities in life, the life-giving things in this world, the food and the water that we need so desperately, and he said, I am that for you. Radical claims. Jesus also said in John 8, 12, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I don't know if you've ever walked in darkness and literally like camping or something and and you've had to go somewhere in darkness and it almost feels heavy. It almost feels like it's crowding in around you. And then 
And others of us might have experienced walking in darkness in a different way, but walking in, in through a dark time in our lives. And again, you feel that sense of, of heaviness, that darkness and that oppression. And Jesus says, I am the light. And the cool thing about light is that darkness cannot survive in the light. It dispels that darkness. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And by nature, light illuminates. I will illuminate a path through the darkness, and you will be able to see, and you will be able to walk. I am the light of the world. Jesus said in John 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. Uh, The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He goes on to say a few verses later, my, uh, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus says, in me, my followers will find eternal life. Jesus also said um, that I am the Messiah. When speaking to the woman at the well in John 4, 20, uh, 4, 25, the woman says, I know the Messiah, that Christ, when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And Jesus says, I'm, I'm him. I'm the Messiah. And Messiah is a word in Hebrew that means deliverer or savior. I'm the one who's going to rescue you. And you see, the Israelites were waiting for a long time for that Messiah, that deliverer who would come and would would rescue them out of that darkness. They're escalating. Jesus said in John chapter 10, he says, I and the Father are one. Jesus claims to be God in human form. And the last claim we're going to look at today is from John eleven twenty five, And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. What an appropriate verse for today. I am the resurrection and the life. I love the context in which Jesus says this. He's speaking to, to Mary and to Martha, whose brother Lazarus had just died. And they're weeping, and they're, and they're crying, and they're desperate. And Jesus looks into their eyes and says, oh, but I am the resurrection, and I am the life. That is not something that just anyone can say. The resurrection to have, to, to have the ability to come back from death, to have power over death. And, and for him to say, I am, I am life. I am the life. Like the, the state of being, your existence that is all found in me. What a powerful claim. I am the resurrection and the life. So many people throughout history have said many things about this man, Jesus. But what we wanted to identify as we begin today um, in, in our time together, conversation and looking into, into Scripture, we wanted to begin with was the radical claims that Jesus made of himself. These were the things that Jesus said about himself. He says, I will give you the nourishment you need. He says, I am the light in darkness. He says, I am God in human flesh, and I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus made radical claims about who he was. And the question we ask then, does this all come crashing down, or is it elevated? You see, there's really two major ways we can interpret the words of Jesus, his own claims about himself. Either this man is delusional, right? Either his claims of grandeur and loft are without any uh, basis, or he is truly the Savior. He doesn't leave middle ground for us. The claims that he makes in his life are so radical that, that either he is, he is a delusional man or he is 
the Savior. And I realize this can sound really callous and wrong. Let me just say, I'm not the first to identify this. C.S. Lewis, you've heard of him. Uh, he, he speaks of, of a similar com- concept in these terms. He says, a man who was merely a man and said the sorts of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would, he would either be a lunatic or someone else much worse. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. That's C.S. Lewis' assessment. You see, Jesus didn't leave a lot of gray area. He was quite clear that he was the Savior. He was the one to come. And here's the twist in it all. At his crucifixion, everyone was convinced of the delusion, right? This is how it played out. So Jesus, he, he, was a, he was a fantastic teacher, and he shook up the Israelite world. He was born into a broken Israelite system. Rome ruled over Israel. Their nation was broken, and they were desperate for God to come and rescue them. They expected God to bring a king who would rule and, and, and restore their authority and their power in the world. But along came Jesus, and he made radical claims about himself, but he lived a passive life. He didn't rally an army to overthrow Rome, but he lived lovingly and passively. And he looked to the margins of society, the people that were pushed out to the outskirts, and he said, come to me, follow me, and I'll teach you new ways of life. He was not the king that the Israelites expected. And so quickly Jesus began to clash with the religious rulers of Israel, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law. And his radical claims were the basis upon which they, they said this man is delusional. He is insane, right? He is stirring up the people. He's blasphemous. They said all sorts of things about him. And in time they rallied a crowd and they brought him before Rome and they said we have to crucify this man. And a Roman ruler, he said, I see no grounds to crucify this guy. I'll punish him and let him go. But the crowds rallied. And they, and, and group think stormed into the, into the gathering. And they said, crucify him. Crucify him. And so Rome relented. Rome hung him on a cross and he died. You know, when he, when he hung on that cross, um, his 12 apostles, his 12 closest followers had all scattered. They were afraid and they had run. After the crucifixion for the weekend that ensued, uh, some of them went back to their old practices. All of them disillusioned and lost. None of them yet grasping what was to come. None of them having heard Jesus' claims about himself, about death and resurrection. You see, everyone was lost. Would Jesus' story go down as yet another delusional man making major claims? And yet Jesus had predicted his death. He had predicted that he would die on a cross and that three days later he would rise again. But it was so far outside of the realm of reality for the disciples that they just couldn't fathom that. Interestingly enough, um, when he died, the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders at the time, did remember that Jesus had predicted that. And they uh, went to Pilate and said, hey, can we have some armed guards? Because we're afraid the disciples are going are gonna to send some people to steal his body and then claim that he rose again. And so they put they put some armed guards and they rolled the the tomb shut they rolled the door shut and the weekend passed with the disciples just distraught 
and and so um, in such grief over what had happened. And then we get to Sunday, and I get to tell the cool part of the story. Mm-hmm. Sunday morning, I love it. Let's read um, Matthew twenty-eight. After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Can imagine the women, probably his mom, another woman, Mary Magdalene, who'd been a disciple and followed him, just torn up with grief. And they weren't allowed to even um, finish preparing his body for burial. They had to wait because of the customs until Sunday morning. The Sabbath had to had to come and go before they could do that. So they went to finish preparing his body for the burial. And I imagine them going to the tomb crying and weeping and sad. And once they get there, this violent earthquake and everything's shaking and they see things moving and they see something like lightning rolling away the stone. And this angel saying, do not be afraid. They were probably afraid <laughs> at that sight. Do not be afraid, for he has risen. And then I love, I love what the angel says. He says, he told you, remember? He told you. He, he's risen just like he told you. And I can imagine them, them thinking, well, well, yeah, he told us, but he didn't really mean it, right? Not like that. Maybe it was a parable or figurative or something, but like, can you, can you, is that really what he meant? And I can imagine them beginning to, to feel some hope after a weekend of complete despair. And in verse eight, it says they hurried away afraid yet filled with joy. And, and as they're running back to tell the others, Jesus meets them on the way. And they fall down and they worship him and they grasp his feet. And he says, yes, it's true. I'm alive. And then they continue down the way. And I wonder what what it was like for them. I wonder if he just disappeared or if he walked a different way and then they went on their way. I don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. But I imagine them running and crying and laughing and and yelling and giggling all at the same time. And they, they bust the doors and they tell the other disciples, he's alive. We saw an angel. We saw him. He's risen. And I love what Luke 24 says, it says, but the, but, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. I can oh, <laughs> you know, scripture doesn't tell us what their reaction was to that. Like, I wonder what their reaction was to the men not <laughs> believing them. But I get it. Like the resur- the idea of someone resurrecting from the dead is so far beyond uh, the realm of, of what we know as reality, what we know as normal. 
that, that I can understand why that would be hard for them um, to believe. And so this is Sunday morning, all this happens. Sunday afternoon, two of his disciples, for whatever reason, start going to Emmaus. And it's a, it's a village about seven miles away, and they're walking down the road. And um, this guy joins them, and it's Jesus. But Jesus hides his identity from them. At that moment, they don't recognize him. And uh, as, as they're walking down the path, Jesus asks, so what are you guys talking about? And they're like, well, haven't you heard? Haven't you been in Jerusalem? We're talking about Jesus of Nazareth. And, and he asks them, so tell me about this guy. And, he sa- and they say to him, he was a prophet, and he was powerful. He did a miracle. So it was amazing. And we really had hoped, we thought he was the one. He was going to be the Savior, and he was going to be our deliverer. But then he was crucified, and now our women, they're, they're surprising us and telling us that he's risen, and now we just really don't know what to think. And Jesus on the road explains to them the scriptures that had prophesied that this Messiah who came wasn't going to be a big king with a giant army that took over the world, but he was going to be a servant king who would suffer for his people and who would love his people. And um, as they sat down for dinner that night and Jesus took the bread and broke the bread, they recognized him. Their eyes were opened, and then he just disappears. I mean, talk about goosebumps. What do you do when someone just in front of you just disappears? So they get up. I imagine, and I don't know this, but I imagine they didn't finish dinner. <laughs> but they got up and they ran back to Jerusalem. That's seven miles. And they run to the other disciples who are hiding with the door locked in a little room because they're afraid of the Pharisees. And they barge in and they say, it's true, it's true, this Jesus, he has risen. And as they're telling their story, Jesus appears in the middle of all of them. And he gives their, the standard greeting at that time. But I love, I love the greeting. He says, peace be with you. Mm-hmm. And, and what a powerful, powerful moment for Jesus to come in and say, I am alive. I am resurrected. And I bring peace. My peace be with you. For them, that changed. For them, that changed. Um, that changed their lives. But we want to ask the question today: What are the implications of the resurrection for us today? What are the implications of that? And I go back to John eleven twenty five, where Jesus says to, to Mary and Martha, I am the resurrection and I am the life. And he claims, I have power over death. And I have power over sin. And I have power over brokenness. And that, friends, applies to us today. That Jesus in our lives has power over death. In our lives, he has, he has the power and he gives us the power to have victory over sin. And that he takes what is broken in us and around us and he mends that. And he has the power to heal our wounds. And it gives me great, great joy and hope to say Jesus is a resurrection and the life. 
What are the implications of the resurrection for us today? The resurrection is everything, right? The resurrection is what sets apart this man's, Jesus' identity as either the savior or a delusional man. The resurrection is what is at the heart of, does he learn to soar? Does he, does he fly or does he come crashing back down to earth? Because short of the resurrection, people are distraught and lost. But upon the resurrection, people see hope. They see an invitation to new life. Peter, one of his closest followers, years later, would write this to the churches. It's out of First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 3. says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. He says these things. He says there is hope in heaven, but don't miss. He says there is a living hope through resurrection here and now. A hope that has come to earth. An invitation to new life now and to come. And friends, that's significant. If we live our lives as followers of Jesus with only a hope that is far off, we miss so much of the richness and hope that he has brought in new life here and now. New life now. And so, so we ask, what is at stake? What's the implications of the resurrection? Well, it is an invitation to know new life. Some of us in this room have been following Jesus for many years. We believe him to be the risen Savior. We believe him to be our Lord. And we've experienced the transformational work that he's done in our lives. Some of us in this room are just asking questions, maybe just exploring who Jesus is. And you've got a glimpse into our experience and our story. But today I have the distinct pleasure to introduce you to a good friend named Tommy, who is in process in this journey. Tommy, will you come talk with us for a minute? Tommy's been with us for about a year, and, uh, and we've been sitting and studying the Bible and, and talking together for some time now, and, um, and Tommy's been telling me, uh, Sarah and I, about this transformational work that God's been doing in life. Tommy, will you tell us a little bit about how God's been working in your life and changing you? Well, first, I can tell you, he had a pretty tall order. Um, <laughs> for me, the first thing was a sense of ease and peace. Um, those little things that happen that makes us all frustrated and angry. For me, I, it was always anger and impatient. I became, uh, once I felt at ease, I felt that peace. And once I became uh, peaceful, I, uh, I, I uh, felt a real sense of joy that I just can't explain. Amen. I just feel awesome. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. And so, Tommy, this morning we're asking this question of who is Jesus? Uh, you know, what is his identity? Who do you believe Jesus? Oh. <laughs> that can be a huge question. Mm-hmm. And I thought about it. And I tend to overthink things. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> but then I thought, why, why overthink this? It's so simple. 
I mean, he's the savior. He's the hope. And, and once I realized that, that's when the joy really happened. Wait, I get to go now? I have this chance? This invitation is for me too? Yes. That's incredible, Tommy. Yeah. What a beautiful testimony. Yeah. Tommy has asked to be baptized today. And I want you to know that you're all invited to participate that, in, that, in that if you'd like. After service, we're going to um, head over where we have uh, a pool ready uh, that, that Tommy is going to be baptized today. Let's pray with Tommy as we celebrate that. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you uh, for Tommy. We thank you for the transformational work that that you do in our lives. Father, we thank you for the peace and, um, uh, Father, the just the comfort that you have brought in her life. We thank you for the way ways that you continue to work in her life. And we thank you this morning um, for an opportunity uh, just to celebrate the good work that you are doing in her life in baptism. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So for those of you um, kind of unfamiliar with this idea of baptism, baptism is, uh, is this opportunity where um, in, in, in this church, many churches practice it different ways. Uh, Tommy was baptized as an infant, in fact. Uh, but, but as an adult, she has said, I want to make that decision myself. And I want to be baptized. And baptism represents like the, the in Romans chapter 6, it speaks of Jesus who was buried and then rose again. And it compares it to baptism, like this idea of dying to our old self and rising anew out of the waters of baptism. And so today, Tommy has asked that we celebrate in that way. Uh, you heard her say these words, it's for me too. And I, and I want all of you to hear those words. It's for you too. Like, it's a beautiful celebration of the good work that God is doing in our lives. And if today is that day, you are invited to let us know. The water will be ready, and the crowd will be out there to celebrate. If today is your day, that that you want to celebrate God's good transformational work in our lives in baptism, I want you to know that you are invited to that as well. So we have the address up here, and the time we're going to set for 12 o'clock. So 12 o'clock, and here's the address. So if you want to attend that, you can jot that down. So many of us in this room have come to believe that Jesus is the risen Savior. Some of us are still on that journey. And so I want you all to know, if if this is a newer conversation to you, uh, next week is going to be really valuable. Next week, we're going to talk more about the proof of the resurrection. Knowing that this hinges on our our belief and our understanding that Jesus rose from the dead, we're going to go deeper on this subject next week. And we want to invite you all to join us in that. A couple other reminders as we close out this morning. Uh, Vine 101 is next week. So again, if you're visiting and want to learn more about the church, what do we believe and who are we, come share a meal with us at, um, next Sunday and, uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about who we are. We'll answer some questions. Um, here's the game plan. Uh, we're going to close with a prayer uh, here in just a moment. Um, we'll have a few minutes to tear down. If you want to join us at noon, uh, come and celebrate as Tommy gives her life in baptism. All right, let's pray together as we close this morning. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for a chance uh, to remember you, to consider your son Jesus, um, his death, and Father, his resurrection. Thank you for Easter and a time to celebrate the hope and the goodness, the new life found in his new life and resurrection. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, friends, have a blessed week.